Let me start with some prayer. God, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. God, for your grace and mercy that you so freely display upon us, even though we're undeserving and unworthy, you still give it to us. And God, we're just so grateful for who you are. So today, God, as we enter into a time of worship through your word, we ask. But what I would like for us to do this morning is, is look at uh, ourselves. Um, it's fun to look at other people. It's less fun to look at ourselves. It's the same reason that whenever we change, we always change in the privacy of a room or within our bathroom. It's because changing in front of people is very uncomfortable. And when we look at ourselves on the inside, what we see about who we really are and the change that God calls us to is uncomfortable. And when we know that people see us for who we are, it makes us feel uh, a little dirty. Um, so we're going to spend some time looking at ourselves. Uh, and we're going to have an honest assessment of who we are. Then we're going to evaluate some areas that we maybe struggle in. Uh, I've titled uh, these weeks that we're going to spend together, The Problem with I. Um, and I want us to look at a few things that stem from uh, when we focus on ourselves instead of focusing on, focusing on God. Uh, when we focus on ourselves, we label that as pride, uh, meaning that we care more for ourselves. And we know that pride always leads to failure. Um, and so when we, when we focus on ourselves, it leads to a bunch of other issues that we're going to spend time talking about. And today we're going to talk about insecurity. And so you see the wordplay there, the problem with I, insecurity. We're going to look at insecurity uh, being something that we all struggle with. You know, a few years back, uh, I was selling a vehicle. And, uh, and at that time, I'd never done any kind of business on Craigslist. Um, just, I don't know, maybe it was my insecurity of that. Um, but I had a vehicle that had been giving me all kinds of trouble, and, and the easiest solution was just to sell it, because I'm not a mechanic, uh, and there's not a YouTube video on it. I don't know how to do it. And so we decided, Amber and I, that we were going to get rid of this vehicle and, and have our problems go away. And so we decided the avenue we were going to do that was Craigslist. And so I'd, I'd never had any experience of purchasing or selling anything on there. Um, however, uh, somebody had contacted me, and we thought, this is, this is about to go down. And, and uh, for some reason, I had this fear that whoever this person was, their goal was to murder me. And so uh, my whole time, I kept expressing this fear to my wife. I would say, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they really don't want the vehicle. They actually want to kill me. And so when it came time to meet this person, we met them. I, I met them at my office, which was in a public place, and we had cameras everywhere. And so I remember when the guy pulled up, it was him and his mother. And so I thought, oh, okay, this, this can't be, you know, some some plot to kill me. He probably is really interested in the vehicle. And so I just, my wife and I had been communicating because, you know, my last words to her, I wanted to be recorded in case somebody needed to hunt me down. And so I, uh, I texted her and I said, hey, good news, he's not the Craigslist killer. And, um, and I noticed that my wife, who had been conversating with me back and forth pretty quick, didn't immediately respond. I thought, man, it's weird. And so I look at my phone and I realized that I had texted the guy who had just came to buy the vehicle. Uh, and so, you know, you're hoping that, that they haven't actually seen the text. And about that time that I realized it, I noticed him go, it's weird. And I said, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you were actually going to come and kill me, and I just realized that you're actually here just to buy the vehicle. And so uh, I didn't sell the vehicle that day, but I, no, I, I did sell the vehicle. But, uh, but I learned in that moment that uh, I have some problems with insecurity, right? I struggle sometimes with fear which is one of the main results of insecurity. But the truth is, all of us battle insecurity. Right? Every single one of us battle insecurity in some, fa uh, some, f some form. 
Some of us feel insecurity because of our future. Some of us feel insecurity because of our finances. Some of us feel insecurity because of our marriage or because of our job situation. And almost every one of us <clears throat> face some sort of insecurity because of our appearance. Insecurity, in the simplest definition of it, is the uncertainty or anxiety in oneself. A lack of confidence. And every one of us battle that in some area of our life, and in many cases, multiple areas of our life. Whatever drives your insecurity, the truth uh, that is present is that it consumes our time and it consumes our emotions. <coughs> Excuse me. But insecurity is not a battle that God ever intended for us to fight. And the reason is because insecurity means that we're focused more on ourselves than we are on God. It means that we have placed our confidence in ourselves. And when we do that, we quickly learn the frailty of our existence. One of the reasons the Bible has such uh, a positive impact on a believer is because it serves as this reminder of the faithfulness of God. We read story after story throughout the, uh, throughout the whole Bible of men and women who God's faithfulness stayed true even when they remained untrue. And so time and time again we see God intervene in these moments where someone is about to die or, or God brings justice to some offender or he provides substance in the moment that they're wavering and, and then we see him give words in these moments of silence. And we look at these insecurities and we go, why does this person not trust this faithful God? And then unfortunately we begin to battle the same things. When things arise in our life, the first emotion that we seem to feel is insecurity. Questioning God where he is in that moment. Knowing that his faithfulness is always proven true. Paul talks to the church in Corinth and he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is nothing new that you will ever experience that God hasn't encountered before. And that's troubling for us many times because I will tell you, when something happens in my life, I'm the first one to think that everything is collapsing around me. And I think, God, you've never seen someone go through what I'm going through right now. And Paul is just reminding the church in Corinth, hey, what you're going through, people have been going through all throughout history, and God is not unfamiliar with what they're facing. So when we receive the diagnosis that's terminal, God has already been faithful in that before. And when we experience our spouse coming and they ask for a divorce, God has restored that before. And when we get overlooked for the promotion that we know we deserve, God has created there before. You will never experience anything that God hasn't led someone through before. And that should serve as encouragement when we face insecurities, is knowing that God has been faithful in the very battle that you fight at that moment. And as true as that statement is, when something arises, insecurity is still going to come up. And to understand why it comes up is very simple. Insecurity is the byproduct of a sin-stricken world. As a matter of fact, we see insecurity for the first time with Adam and Eve. God has always come down and visit with Adam and Eve. Yet, when they partake of the fruit God warned them against, 
This transpires right here in chapter 3, 8 through 11. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, as he always had done. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I have commanded you not to eat? Their insecurity in their appearance has led to the situation they face in this moment. They had never known what insecurity was because they had always been reliant on God. But the moment that their reliance was no longer on God but on themselves, the first emotion they experienced is insecurity. Saying, I can't see God the way I am because He's probably going to kill me. And I love that God basically says in their insecurity, who told you that you're not secure? Right? It's almost when you play uh, the game where, what's the game? Simon Says. You know, you cannot move until someone says Simon Says. You have to wait for that. It's almost like God has this impression of us and our obedience. Is He looks at them and he says, who told you you were naked? I didn't tell you. Simon didn't say you were naked, so you aren't. And so we go through things. And it's almost as if God says, who told you you weren't secure? As long as you remain in me, you're secure and there should be no insecurity in your life. And God views our situation as the same thing. Insecurity is not an attribute of obedience but to God, but a symptom of sin. The less we trust God, the more we become insecure in our walk. And the reason that we have to trust is because everything that we experience in life requires some sort of trust. God expects our trust to be placed in Him. Unfortunately, many times we don't do that. But trust is something that we have to experience from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed. When I get up in the morning and I flip the light on, I trust that the light is going to come on. And when I get in my vehicle and I crank it up, I trust that the vehicle is going to crank it up and go where I need it to go. And when I get to my job, I trust that there's people there that's going to keep me safe. And when I click on my computer, I trust the program that I click on is going to open. And when I come home, I, I trust that I'm going to pull up to a house that hadn't been broken into. And we place our trust in all these things because trust encompasses our life because we cannot do life alone. But the moment that trust is broken, insecurity comes and replaces it. If you've ever had a vehicle that was untrustworthy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you turn the key, you don't trust that it's going to crank up anymore. You're insecure to go anywhere you ever need to go because you think it's going to break down this time. Because when trust is broken, insecurity comes in and replaces it. I was working uh, at a private prison before. And I remember having a conversation with all these officers. And every one of them, who maybe had a lot of years serving, had all served at this particular prison. And so I, I can remember them telling stories, but none of them had really had any hands-on experience on defusing a situation. And the more they told their story, the less secure I felt in where I was. And I remember as we started getting some guys in who were a little unstable, uh, I would come home every day to my wife and I would go, listen, man, if something was to break out, I don't feel like I could trust that they're going to have, uh, not that they wouldn't come to my rescue, but I don't know that they know how to handle what's about to go on. And so every day towards the end of my time there, I went there so insecure that if something was to happen, there would be no one to intervene on my behalf. And once my trust was broken, it was hard for me to be in that position any longer. 
Because anytime our trust is broken, insecurity comes in and takes its place. The root of insecurity is trust. And the insecurity, insecurity, uh, excuse me, the insecurity that we experience in various areas of our life is based on trust. It's why insecurity is so damaging to our walk with God. Because our insincerity, in, insecurity, though not intentional, uh, speaks of the lack of trust that we have for God. So when I'm insecure in areas of my life that he told me he has under control, even though it may not be intentional, what I'm really saying to God is, I don't trust that you're going to get me through this. Right? When I pay my bills and I know that I've done everything God's asked me to do and I'm looking at that balance and going, I don't know that this is going to make it the whole time. It's God who I have to trust, but insecurity cries to come in. God has never failed me before, but insecurity loves to come when broken trust is there. And as Paul said in the verse that we read just a moment ago, God is faithful and does not allow us to go through trying times without offering a way of escape. God's faithfulness never ceases but our trust wavers because of the failure of our own lives and the failure of those around us. It's very, uh, my wife will tell you that I'm probably the most jealous husband that there is, right? I'm insecure. And my wife has never given me any reason to have insecurity. But my wife is beautiful. And I see less beautiful women all the time leave their husbands. And so I'm always mindful of that and I look at my wife and I go all right listen I don't need you to hug another guy right like this is the discussion I have with her going like if you do I may have to intervene and I don't want to have to do that you know and it speaks less to my wife's unfaithful unfaithfulness but more to my lack of trust because of the things that surround me if you came up in a broken family your jaded view of family will now be the very foundation that you have to either choose trust or lack of trust and unfortunately, how you are raised determines the trust you'll have when you get older. And so you enter into a certain thing. You enter into a marriage coming from a family that had a broken family. And your trust is very fragile knowing that the reality of your family breaking is true. Or you've seen or experienced firsthand what it's like to be let go from a job when you did nothing wrong. And so you enter into your next career and you go, at any moment they could just come and let me go and there's nothing I can do about it. And so you work the job day after day with a lack of trust and insecurity. Because insecurity always comes in the place of broken trust. Insecurity leads to so many different side effects. Jealousy, inferiority, debt, depression, trust issues, all these side effects come from the very symptom of uh, insecurity. And so what I want us to do today is to figure out how we can successfully navigate insecurity, understanding that God is who we place our trust in. But the first thing that we can do to combat insecurity in our lives is to value others over ourselves. The root of insecurity is to focus on my own self. And when I lack confidence in myself, I realize very quickly that life is fragile. And I have to experience and navigate some insecurities that I never would have had had I placed my trust in something other than me. And so it's important that our dependency is no longer in ourselves because that leads to pride and pride leads to failure. But our dependency goes beyond that. And that we begin to value others over, we, over how we value ourselves. 
Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. When Paul wrote this section right here, he was actually speaking of the humility of Christ. And how Christ, who had all the reason to be a prideful man, uh, came in the most humblest of ways and lived this humility-filled life and that the expectation of his followers that they follow in humility. When we value others over ourselves, it does not mean that people won't let us down. It just means that we're living in complete obedience to God. That God expects us to love others and love Him more than we love ourselves. What it does ensure is that we refocus ourselves from I to you and embody the humility of Christ. Because a life focused on I leads to problems because selfishness blinds us to the needs around us. Selfishness begins to consume our lives and we neglect to see people around us who are struggling and hurting that we're expected to intervene in. We miss opportunities for encouragement and unabashed love when we look at ourselves. I'll give you a scenario. Have you ever been in a situation where you should have offered care to someone or maybe privately prayed to God for a situation, but your mind was slogging through another round of how awful you look in those pants or, or that the person that you need to talk to is actually smarter than you are? Right? Have you ever been through that? So what should have been a God-appointed moment has been replaced with this insecurity. Especially the, like I always encounter this person's going to be smarter than me, and so I feel insecure about even speaking to them, right? Because I'm like, they're just going to tear me down, and, and if I try to address this, and it's exactly how the enemy loves to work, it's because if he can gum our mind up with feelings that are contrary to how God has created us, then we quickly realize that we're going down a path that leads to no success. And so we begin to go down this, but being self-conscious is being conscious of self meaning that we are not loving others when we're obsessing with ourselves. I cannot love myself and then have room to love other people. I can love multiple people, but myself can't, I can't be one of the people that I love. Valuing others over ourselves allows our security to be placed in the correct hands, God's, because we're living in obedience and not a self-serving pursuit of life. Um, second is we have to stop seeking justification through others and through our very own works. Righteousness has nothing to do with our reputation or our works. Yet inevitably we seek justification from both of those places. If people can have the right opinion about me, it will determine my righteousness. And if I can do just enough stuff, it will determine my righteousness. And so often we get consumed with justifying ourselves through what people say about us and justifying ourselves through the things we do with our own hands that we neglect to understand truly what righteousness all is. And so we begin to consume our, our time with pleasing people through what we say, how we dress, and how we act. We think of ingenious things that we can post on Facebook because we want people to know how spiritual we are. But righteousness has nothing to do with the opinions of others, which is great news. Righteousness also has nothing to do with how much we work, which is also great news. Because in both of those areas, we will continuously fall short. If I knocked on every door in this community because I wanted to show how righteous I was, instead of knocking on every door because of the righteousness placed inside of me, I would be doing it for the wrong reason. See, many times we work to prove our righteousness when work should be a result of our righteousness. Unfortunately, when our works fail and people fail, 
and they will, we develop this sense of insecurity in our lives because we equate those things with our worth. And when those things fail us, we feel like failures, which equates to us feeling worthless in our very lives. But justification of our lives was never dependent on people or works. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that none of you could boast. See, it is grace that saves us, and it's grace that justifies us. Because had grace not intervened in our life, I would be standing up here telling you how much people liked me and how, much, uh, things, how many things I do to prove my righteousness. And Paul says, hold up. Like, this has nothing to do with what you've been justified by. Your justification happens solely because of a good gift of God, which is grace. Had that not existed, your goodness would not exist. Your righteousness would not exist. It is not our works or people, but it's the unquenchable love of God that justifies us. A love that brought Jesus from his throne to Calvary. It is that love that defines our worth. Our worth is not defined by the insecurities we battle on a daily basis. You know, right now I'm, I'm obsessed with a song um, that I listen to continuously. I don't know about you. If, if you get obsessed with a song, I listen to it till I just hate the song. And I'm in that point now. I'm listening to the song over and over again and and, uh, but I still love it at this moment. This is a song called Worth by Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. And, and I'm going to show you the words because it's, uh, I feel like it has to do with what we're talking about. Um, it says, you thought I was worth saving, so you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping, so you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for, so you sacrificed your life, so I could be free, so I could be whole, so I could just tell everyone I know. Your worth is not in others or your work. Your worth was determined by your Savior coming down from heaven to ensure that you had an opportunity to be united with Him for all of eternity. And we call that justification. Justification is when Christ came into your life and though you didn't deserve it, He justified you by His blood. It's what Paul said that, um, that the righteousness of Christ was transferred to us because nothing good was of us, but the righteousness of Christ was transferred to us, meaning that before God, I stood there a wretched sinner. But the moment I gave my life to Christ, He justified me, and He made me righteous before the very Creator. And today, your worth is not defined by the insecurities you face. Your worth has already been determined by a Savior who left His throne to come be among you. Your worth was established by Jesus. And because of his sacrifice, you have become the righteousness of God. Meaning that you don't have to justify yourself by what other people say. Let them talk. Whether it be good or bad, let them talk. Because they don't determine your worth. Christ has already determined it. What you do does not determine the worth that you have in the kingdom. Your worth has already been determined by what Christ did on the cross. Now from that perfect work and through the justification in our lives, the expectation is that we work out of that righteousness. But if I don't do as much as you do, there's no comparison amongst the kingdom. When you're saved and justified, your worth has already been established. And so when these feelings of insecurity seep into your life because of the opinions of others or your feelings of inadequate work, Begin to tear you down. Remember that you have already been established as righteous before God. And your security rests in your perfect Savior. My insecurity, even though I battle it on what others say, and my insecurity, even though I battle it on what I do, 
is not determined by those things. My security is placed in the very nail-scarred hands that bought me the righteousness that I now so freely live in. Uh, lastly, reestablish your satisfaction with God. Hearing that statement probably makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable because you're probably going, no, no, I'm satisfied with God. I'm, I'm so happy that He is who He is. But um, publicly, you may feel that. But privately, you've probably expressed your displeasure with God many times. Internally, we all battle moments of being dissatisfied with what God has done. Because we feel like God should have created us a certain way. He should have gave me a particular gift. He should have taken me down a certain path. And when what he does doesn't meet my expectations, what forms in the middle there is dissatisfaction. And my dissatisfaction begins to slowly grow into insecurity. If God doesn't give me what I want here, how can I trust he'll give me anything else that I want? And so our dissatisfaction with God leads to the insecurities that we battle over the trust that we have for him. And so when those things happen, we grumble and we complain to God and we wrestle with our own dissatisfaction for the path that he has for us because dissatisfaction is developing within us an insecurity because if God does not give me this, will he neglect to give me the other things I need and we lose our trust and have no security in anything he offers because we're dissatisfied with how he let us down, our perceived letdown. You know what's amazing is the children of Israel battled this very same thing after they were freed from the Egyptian bondage. Understand that they were slaves, right? You'll hear them talk throughout the Bible, and it'll sound like they were living at a resort. But the truth is they were slaves, and they were treated brutally by the Egyptian people. And in that moment, they had no hope of a future, and many of them had no hope of redemption. But God, through his relentless love of the, Israel, uh, of, of the children of Israel, in that moment decided he was going to send someone to their rescue. And he sent a man named Moses to their rescue. And every time they grumbled, it seemed like God would always intervene. And if you ever read the story of the children of Israel, it sounds like a bunch of spoiled brats, right? Um, when they were hungry, God rains manna down from heaven, right? Like that would be the most amazing thing if we were to see it. And you're going to find right here what we're about to read is they're so dissatisfied with it, they think God's about to kill them. Um, they're in the desert, they're wandering around, God has supplied all their needs leading up to this very moment. In the Numbers 11, uh, 4-6, it says, Now the rabble, which is uh, just a group of angry people, that was among them, had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. God had always been faithful to them. He had always proven his faithfulness to them. Yet here we find them in the midst of the desert complaining about what God has provided for them while reflecting back on what was a terrible situation, but they're looking at it with adoration. And it's mind-boggling that there would be dissatisfaction when God is literally raining food down from heaven. But they believe that God, not only are they dissatisfied, but they believe that God is just going to let them die. And so their future becomes this sense of insecurity because they don't know that God is going to save them again. Even though time after time he's proven faithful in saving them in moments where it felt like they probably were literally going to die. 
It hadn't been that long ago that they came to the Red Sea and God parted the waters where they could walk across. When they literally looked death in the face and God saved them. And here they are, years later, dissatisfied because God hasn't given them the food that they want. Now look at this story and I go, man, they're a bunch of spoiled brats, but let's be honest. We all go through that, right? God comes in and intervenes in a situation and we go, we thank him for his greatness and we throw praise on him. And then a few years later, we're going through something like, God, where are you at? I wanted fish and cucumbers and melon and all you're doing is raining food down from the sky and it's not nourishing me. I think you just want me to die and our hope and our future is nothing but insecurity. We become dissatisfied with God and, that, and as that builds, we become insecure on what God's going to do in the future. It took the Israelites facing destruction for them to reestablish their satisfaction with God. Literally, God was preparing to annihilate them. And conveniently, their satisfaction was turned back to God. And I wonder if God hasn't brought you to the place that you're in at this moment to reestablish within you a satisfaction for all the things he's done in the past. That as you sit here today and maybe you wrestle with these feelings of dissatisfaction, you've lost trust in what God can do in your life, maybe he's brought you to this very moment to remind you how good and faithful he's been throughout your whole life. The insecurity you feel in this moment may be the very wake-up call you need to place your trust back in God. Insecurity is not a sin primarily because uh, insecurity is not a, a sin primarily because it is an insult of our value, though it is. Um, but it is a sin because it's an insult to God's wisdom. It's as if we say God, to God through our insecurity, "You don't even know what I need for my future." This is what the children of Israel said. No, God, you don't know what we need. We need fish. We need melons. We need all these things. And you're giving us manna. You don't even know. And the sin of insecurity is because we question the very wisdom of he who created us. And every one of us battle that sin. But God wants you to place your trust back in him. The problem with I is that it always leads to insecurity. Our trust is shattered and we become dissatisfied in the only faithful one in our life. Jeremiah paints this beautiful picture of who we're to be. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The expectation that God has of us is even when troubling times come, we're so rooted in the trust and faithfulness he's proved to us over time that nothing can shake us. That even when it feels like someone's willing to tear the roots up out of the ground, we have trust and not insecurity, knowing that God has proven himself faithful time and time again. And if that person rips our roots out of the ground, then our trust is that God wanted that to happen and we move forward in pursuit of obedience to him. Stability in unstable times is only found in Christ. And if insecurity is the overwhelming emotion that you feel today, understand that trusting God is the only solution and to, to remedy the problem that you face. Don't value yourself over others. Don't seek your justification from people or the, or the works that you do. But reestablish your satisfaction in God and sink your roots in his faithfulness. He's good. His faithfulness remains. So rest secure 
and the creator creating breakthroughs in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. That God, even in our shakiness and our unfaithfulness, that you remain true and faithful to us. And so today, God, we uh, spend this moment of self-evaluation to ask you, please, to look over our lives. God, if insecurity rests in any place in our life, if it even consumes one moment of our time, Lord, we pray that you would reveal that to us. God, that the root of that would be revealed. God, maybe it's a, a troubled past and we're struggling with that. God, maybe it is seeing the brokenness of an upbringing. God, maybe it is some experience that someone went through. Or God, maybe it's just simply unrealistic expectations that we've placed in our lives, understanding that your perfect will hasn't let us down, but our trust is fractured in that area. God, each and every person here today, I lift them up to you. God, I ask that that insecurity be replaced with trust. And God, in those moments of weakness when things come to shatter our lives, that we're quick to turn to you. And God, when we feel like our world is collapsing all around us, that we would hold true to your promises to us. God, that if you've parted the Red Sea before, that you will do that again if you need to. And God, if, if, if we go through moments where we feel like we're starving spiritually, that if you have to rain manna from, from the heavens, you will do it again. But God, that your perfect love always shines through in our lives. So God, help us with our feelings of insecurity. That our security will be placed in our Creator and not in ourselves. That our security will be placed, God, not in the opinions of others or the works that we fail, but our Security will be placed in you. So God, I thank you for what you're doing here today. And God, what you're going to do in each individual's life as you bring us back to the place you've called us and you move us forward towards the blessings you have in store. We love you, we praise you, and we give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So.